The advent of the field process shield and the laser gun, with their explosion interaction, deadly to attacker and attacked, placed the current determinatives on weapons technology. We need not go into the special role of atomics. The fact that any family in my empire can so deploy its atomics as to destroy the planetary bases of 50 or more other families causes some nervousness, true. But all of us possess precautionary plans for devastating retaliation. Guild and Lanzarad contain the keys which hold this force in check. No, my concern goes to the development of humans as special weapons. Here is a virtually unlimited field which a few powers are developing. From Muhadib, Lecture to the War College, from the Stilgar Chronicle. Welcome to Reading Dune Messiah, <laughs> a podcast where we are reading... Dune Messiah by Frank Herbert and talking about it. If you're a Fremen or a first-time reader, this podcast is for you. My name is Caleb Pauls. And I'm Evan Diaz. And together, we are going to read some Dune. Yeah, we are. All right. I have to admit, reading that opening epitaph quote was probably the hardest thing I've done <laughs> in a yeah. long time. It was, a, it was a doozy. I was... Place the current determinatives on the weapon technology. <laughs> Here is a virtually unlimited field of which few powers are developing. I was like, woof. But I do want to take some time to talk about this because what he says, there's a lot to unpack right in here. Yeah. One, who wrote this? Quote, Evan, you may need to look at your book on this one. Who wrote? It was... Yeah. Mwadib, he yeah. it was Paul. He he said it at a at the at a war college. Right. And who's chronicling this down? Oh, is that what that means? Stilgar is, yeah. I didn't know I didn't know if it was like Stilgar was writing it down or if it was like I don't know, some book devoted to Stilgar or something. I don't know. Yeah, it could have been. He could have been like telling somebody this is his account mm, of okay. the history, right? Either way, it's from his perspective, right? And it's something that Muhadib said to a war college. Let's just take a take a quick step back here. There's a college devo devoted to war, but I mean, we have those in the real world. We do. That's a, like a thing that, like the United States, the United States military has a war college, right? Several. There are several academies devoted to this study. Um, but Muhadim is giving a lecture at his to his jihadi to his jihadis before they go out into battle to take over all of the planets. And there's this discussion about basically dangerous, the most dangerous weapons there mm -hmm. are in the universe, right? And we saw this happen once in Dune, where there was a laser gun shield explosion. Right. Do you remember when that was? I don't remember when that was, but I remember it was bad. Like, yeah. as if it had the same power as an atomic bomb, right? Right. Yeah, Duncan set it up um, that the that the Harkonnens pulled out the laser guns and shot it. They weren't expecting it to be there, and it blew them all up right. as they were running away. So that's a really bad thing that could happen. Also, we've seen the use of atomics before um, in Dune. Who did Did Paul use atomics? 
I, I don't remember. Honestly, yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, he blew up the shield. He blew up the shield wall. Oh yeah, yes, yes, yes. Right yes. now, I remember. And in that last chapter, they're like, "You use atomics because I never used them on people." Yeah. So there's that, but they're they're because these royal families, these families have these bombs. There's of course some mediation. I have this. I could blow you up. You could blow me up. Let's just agree to go through commercial war right the lands are at and the guild we control mm. the flows of commerce sounds familiar it does doesn't it yeah that we won't go to war dropping bombs on each other we'll do it this way but paul's not concerned with that either what he's concerned at is because he is one a human that is a weapon right yeah that's and true if, and even if that. and even if we go back to like the Mentats, the Mentats were a war of assassins. There was individuals trained to kill and take down governments, right? which right is Paul. He is the ultimate Mentat emperor. But this is where his big concern lies. He goes, I don't care about bombs or weapons. I concern about malicious actors creating weapons that are people to destabilize and take down governments which we could argue would be what is coming for Paul, which we now know it's not a spoiler. Duncan Idaho is coming back. Right. As a Goa meant to destroy Paul. So I just needed to like, just, I know I could barely read this and understand what I was saying. I seemed to break (laughs) it down again because that's what we do. Yeah. It was just wordy. It was wordy. It makes sense, but it was wordy because Paul, Paul is now, fancy pants emperor giving lectures and such well he could also see the future so there's a lot going on there (laughs) so okay this chapter starts in a place we've never been before yeah it starts in a (laughs) cul-de-sac a graffitied suburb cul-de-sac in arakin that this is also veterans housing but like fancy. Right. It's it's fancy and ghetto at the exact same time. Because <laughs> there's graffiti on the walls. When you go inside, it's like a whole other thing. So this is veterans housing for warriors from the jihad, Muhadib's jihad, who have now returned home. And it's noon. This is a time when no one is out. It's pretty much the midnight of Arrakis. Right. Sun, very high in the sky. We see a doorway in a house. There stands an old man, a man with blue and blue eyes. He has a white, long beard. What else is odd about this man? And he's not wearing a still suit outside. And what's also odd is that the door is open, which means the moisture is just escaping outside. It's like when uh, it's like when your mom tells you to turn off the AC or turn out the windows, like because you don't want the AC to go out. Right. It's like that, but with moisture. He doesn't even care. No no cares given whatsoever. Right. And up approaches our boy, Sightail. Sightail. When you read Sightail, what did you think? What do you mean? Like, as you're reading the chapter, you're like, oh, is this a oh. chapter? Is it a, what's happening here? Yeah. Uh, I read Sightail, and I was like, 
who's Sightail again? And then I had to go back. <laughs> <laughs> he's but like, then I remembered he's the face dancer. And I was like, Ooh, okay. We're, we're there. We're doing something yeah. sneaky with Sightail. Okay. Got it. New character. Here we go. So Sightail approaches this man, bows and gives the greeting signal for the, of the conspiracy. Whatever that means. Um, Evan's doing a funny dance, which he is interpreting as the greeting signal. <laughs> Behind the man, Saitel hears music. This is the music of Samuda, which is a musically addictive drug. Right, right. Which, okay, I, I thought about that. The second we, uh, I, the second I read this, I remembered when we first talked about Samuda, and you were like, it's a drug that has something to do with music, or like it's a drug that makes you hear music. But here it's like basically saying that the music is the drug. Right. Which is yeah. what I thought it was way back when, when we first talked about it. Like, because I remember we brought up the example of when we were in like middle school and people would be like, oh, there's this music on the internet that gets you super high. Remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a binaural beats, but not. Right, 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 like, right. Right. So in uh, Captain Nefude from the Harkonnens, he was the one that was addicted to it. Yes. And yeah. that was how the Baron used him. Right. All right. So Sightail says to the man in the doorway, greetings from afar. All right. Now, Evan, what face is Sightail wearing? This will always be a game now. Is What face is Sightail wearing? Da, 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 da. <laughs> we need to make like like little music things. What face is I tell with you? Know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. What face is he wearing? Duncan Idaho's. Yeah. So he looks just like bold, Duncan. Bold move. <laughs> right. Greeting from the conspiracy. I'm the guy that's supposed to be the conspiracy. <laughs> and at that moment, Saitel doubts his decision. Was this good? Like, I don't think he's like, wait, did my joke not land? Does he not think right. it's funny? Why would he do that? But he also can't change now. He's like in this confrontation, doesn't want to like do his little face wiggle and it's just be weird. So they stand still outside. Saito gets nervous. The old man asked, do you know my son? I'm like, ah, cool. This is, this, that was a sign. That was good. Mm -hmm. One of the counter signs. The old man asks, do you come in in partnership? Saito says alone. Still, the old man does nothing. Saito wonders, Maybe the old man's new neighbor was upsetting him, right? Saito had read on the walls that, quote-unquote, Barris had brought back a, to Arrakis a loathsome disease which deprived him of his manhood. Which I thought that was really funny. They're just outing somebody publicly that he got an STD and <laughs> can no longer produce. Yucky. Wow. Rough, man. All right, cool. And that house used to be the residence of Ultheim, who is a member of Muhadib's death commanders or commandos, the Fadaikin. And Bijaz, the catalyst dwarf, waited on Itham there. What's that? What? Catalyst dwarf? It's a new character and just a small dwarf. I'm intrigued. That's all I'm going to say. All right. <laughs> but that was a very important sentence. Moving on. Saitel just <laughs> waited. The old man spoke. May I know the visitor's name? Saitel gave the name he was assigned for this particular mission. I am Zale. I am Farouk, the old man said. Once Bashar of the Ninth Legion in the Jihad. Does this mean anything to you? 
Now, my question is, Evan, do you remember da -da -da, where Farouk is from? Um, I, because I read it ah, right good. here. Yeah, good. So <laughs> the, the next line. <laughs> yeah, you're right. We first meet Farouk in chapter 33 of Dune, the oh. chapter where Paul becomes Usul. He's there for the Jameis fight. Oh, okay. He saw the whole thing happen from the beginning. Dang. He was the one to tell Paul to throw off his hood when the first time they entered the CH. Gotcha. He was the one that says, mm, this smells like home when they arrive. Because just when you walk into the CH, it just stinks to high hell. Yeah. Right? He's also the one to first reveal that Liet Kynes is Liet Kynes to Paul. Yeah. So this is our guy. He's been with Paul since that moment. Right. Just so we know who Farouk is. Like, if they were to use somebody, they've already been in the movie. They were there in that moment. Interesting. Interesting. That group that was there is going to be very important. The group that was there for the fight? Yeah. Like the, the extras and everything? Well, yeah. Everyone who was there has kind of a part to play as okay. Paul grew. So, yeah. So, in this, right? Um, does this mean anything to you? Saitao read menace in Farouk's word. Saitao replies, You were born in Jetstabar with allegiance to Stilgar. Farouk relaxed, stepped aside, saying, You are welcome in my home. Saitao slips into the house, onto, into a shadow atrium. There's blue tile on the floor. That was glittering designs of crystal worked in the walls. There was the light that was brought in through translucent filters created a silvery light, like the light of the first moon. And behind him, he hears this, the sound of the door's seals, so the moisture stays in. We were a noble people, Farouk said, as he leads them into the courtyard in front of him. We were not of the cast out. We lived in no gar in no village such as this. We had a proper siege in the shield wall of the Habana Ridge. One worm could carry us into Kadim, the inner desert. Saitel listened. Hmm, agreeing. Not like this. So my question now, Evan, is why do you think Farouk is participating in this conspiracy? Why does he want to throw down the emperor? Uh because he's uh, he misses the good old days. He wants to make Arrakis great again. Yeah, he something has changed. They've lost something. The Fremen aren't who they used to be. Back in the good old days when they lived with nothing, it was better. But now they're brought into the fold, into the the Frafaluches, we could even say. Right as part of the upper class and he wants no part of it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, the, I get, I get the perspective, you know, like it's like, we used to be like honorable and now we're just like everyone else. Yeah. Anna Van Loon says, make Arrakis great again. Do we get hats? Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. New hats coming soon. <laughs> Why'd I say that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So something else happened as they walked in. The music stopped. And now there was a soft strum of the balisette. So there was like mood music happening. 
As Sightail's eyes adjusted to this darker room, he saw a youth sitting in front of him. The youth's eyes were empty eye sockets. Ugh. At this, the youth began to sing. So now, I can't imagine what's happening. It's just it, the whole the whole musical thing would be great to hear of just how many times in this chapter it goes up and down and up and down and speeds up as they're talking. Right. So Faroka's lead Saitail away from the youth. He was obviously supposed to see the youth. He was asked about his son earlier. So now they motioned to Saitail to sit on the cushions on the floor. The floor was a blue ceramic with designs of sea creatures mixed in, which I think is very interesting. Meaning yes. there is no sea, there are no sea creatures on Arrakis. Saitail sits and Farouk asks if the music his son is, is doing disturbs them. Saitel's like, no, I like music. <laughs> it's cool, man. And then we learn the story of why Farouk's son has no eyes. So Farouk is just telling stories now. Lots of this is going to happen. He lost his eyes in the conquest of Naraj. There he was nursed, but the people would not have him. Yet, curious enough, Farouk says he has grandchildren on Naraj, and Farouk asks if Saitel has ever been there. Saitel says he has, and he went with a troop of face dancers once in his youth. Oh, you're a face dancer. I had wondered about your features. You remind me of someone. Saitel says that he is mimicking the appearance of Duncan Idaho, and goes on to explain that face dancers can be either sex at will, but for now, he's a man. I just like that he needed to add that in there. Like, don't assume my gender. I can, I got them all. <laughs> don't think, just pull a fast one on me. Uh, but I thought that was very interesting because we know that Duncan Idaho had been with the Fremen before, right? To help set up that connection. So he was also somebody he'd probably met there. It's that first face that he probably saw the Atreides, and now he does not like the Atreides. So I find it an interesting choice again, where it's like, oh, this is the face of the someone who's going to kill you. Right, which is Take why the down. joke didn't land. Which is why it's even worse later on. Yeah. Farouk just stares at him, pursing his lips, and then he asked him, asked him if he needed anything. Ice, fruit, water, you know, casual things. Which I think it's weird he's just offering him water now. I mean... Farouk is pretty much balling right now, you know? Right. There is like no, yes. the V the VA on Arrakis is top notch. They are taking care of their veterans and giving uh -huh. them all the riches and stuff. Right. There is a complete incentive for everyone to go on the jihad. Right. Except if you're being attacked. But the incentive for going is very much there. And we get into why people went. If you here. make it back, you're going to be all right. Yeah, if you can keep your eyes, you're good. <laughs> oh, gosh. Rough. Okay, I felt bad doing that one. <laughs> all right. So, Saitail says, talk will suffice. And then Saitail says a prayer, which basically means that Saitail is coming from a steersman. And what does that mean? If, uh -huh. you're if you're coming from a steersman, that means a certain person can't see you. A certain oh. person that can see the future. Yeah. So, okay. So, so Paul can't see him because he was just with a steersman. Right. 
missed that completely as I was reading. Did not <laughs> catch that at all. Which is why they can have this conversation now. Okay. So there's protection from Muhadib's prescience. So Saito asks about Farouk's son again. What happened to his eyes? Farouk explains a stone burner was used by Naraj defenders and he was too close. Do you know what a stone burner might be, Evan? Nope. Okay. I'm going to give you a hint. At the very top of the chapter, we had an epitaph that was, or about a quote that was about what major weapon? An, a, atomics? Atomics. Ah. So, so it's stone. just a name for, for an atomic weapon? It's a type of atomic bomb. A okay. stone burner. So he, we, the stone burner went off, and Farouk's son was too close. Therefore, his eyes got burned out. Farouk continues, says he offered to buy Tailaxu eyes from, for his son from a Tailaxu master, but his son said, eyes are metal, and he is flesh, and that union would be sinful. So I'm like, all right, mad props for keeping, keeping what you believe. Not doing that merge, but right. I mean, dad's trying to do everything he can for you. Right. It's just, yep, do it. Where is the line of morality? We continue to hit that. I don't know, I don't know what's there. So after some more small talk, Froke just says it. Speak openly. We put much trust in your steersman. Sightail then asks the question, has Farouk ever entered the Imperial Keep? So the answer is yes, and we get a story because everything Froke says is in a story. So, which is going to give context, of course, for what the the average Fremen would kind of think of what happened with Muad'Dib and what happened with the Jihad and what happened with them in this. So right. they they went there to celebrate a victory, capturing a planet. There was a big feast. They slept in Alia's fane. I had to look what fane up was. It's a temple. So Aaliyah has a temple because she's obviously, if Muad'Dib is a god, she's pretty much a goddess yeah. to be worshipped. So they're at a temple the night before. Everyone's dressed in their finest, wait for it, green robes. Bum, bum, bum. We were just talking about this off camera right before we started, but um, Hannah from last chapter emailed us back. <laughs> and she, when she was very flattered to hear that, we, we set her email on the show, but she goes into elaborate what she thought about green. And she points out some really good things. So she says, quote, for me, green is super interesting because of the Atreides. It's their symbolic kind of color, the color of their banners. It represents life and sincerity. And that's how we know Earth, right? Earth is the color green. However, once you get to Arrakis, suddenly green is the color of mourning and death instead of life. So the banner of the green Atreides sincerity becomes a warning towards death and the path that leads to stagnation. Which I thought that's a great catch. Yeah. She then goes on and gives more spoilers. I can't read here because it's spoilers. But she also says one of the significant things about green, the last important thing, is that Paul's eyes were green before the spice. And now they're blue within blue. And Ooh. That's yeah. That's all I got. But that, I thought that was a good thing. So they're dressed in green, which is now the Atreides colors and symbolically their color for mourning, mm -hmm. which is like it's a weird tension there. 
And they're in this room where they partied and there's trees from multiple different worlds. So I'm thinking, remember the like atrium way back when the weirding room mm-hmm. where Jessica stumbled in, there was like, there's all these trees. I'm thinking like that, but times 20. Yeah. And there they say, Farouk said they ate and they drank too much and he was disgusted about what he saw. Farouk ends his rant by saying, he doubts if Muhadib knows how many people he's maimed because of his war. Yeah. Right, and his son is a direct, direct correlation there. Right. Slidetail asks, why does he object to the feast knowing that, you know, spice beer usually ignites the spice orgies and we know what happens there. Farouk mm-hmm. says in the days before, there was a mingling of souls, right? We were intertangling souls and being, but now yeah. just enjoyment with slave girls and war stories. Right. It used to, it was this like spiritual thing. And now he's just seeing all this like debauchery. Yes. Right? And right. okay. I th- I saw, I caught something where in what he was just saying, that was cool. Um, the, the walking wounded came in dragging themselves along on their crutches before when like someone was wounded, like in the desert, it was like, all right, buddy, sorry. See ya. That's so true. And they had to like kill him and take his water. Right. Like that was right. That's the old Fremen way. Right. But now it's just patch him up and which is, which is super foreign to the Fremen. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. And we even see that with his own son, right? He's trying to make, he's trying to fix the situation. Whereas before, we were just taking his water. It's good for the tribe. Move on. Right. Let's hope I can have more babies, so that don't cry. So that's like, that's that's a good point. All right. So Saito asked if Farouk had ever seen Muhadib's private apartment. Straight to the point again. Do you know where he sleeps? Farouk says it is somewhere deep inside. I am told he and Chani live a nomadic life all within the walls of their keep, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Out to the great hall, he comes for public audiences. He has reception halls, formal meeting places, a whole wing for his personal guard, a places for ceremonies and an inner section for communication. And there is a room far beneath his fortress, I am told, where he keeps a stunted worm surrounded by a water moat with which to poison it. Here is where he reads the future. Sightail thinks to himself, myth all tangled up with facts. I just imagine a room deep in the dungeon somewhere and Paul (laughs) is there probably naked with in front of a worm just like, oh, I'm about to get stoned. (laughs) Trip out of my mind. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know what? Leah has got to have a room like that somewhere. Right. <laughs> Paul, I don't know. That's that's iffy. Right. Yeah. Wait. Okay. So he's basically, he's got a worm locked away so that he can do the, that like the change, the change thing yeah. whenever he wants. Yeah. There's like no ceremony. No, like he nothing is to it anymore. Dang. That's crazy. I'm going to go see the future. <laughs> see ya. See you later, Johnny. Come back with a pizza. All right. So, Farouk says, Muhadib only trusts those who are close to him, like in the old days, like Stilgar. So, Paul's circle is tight. 
Mm-hmm. So tight that him and Chani can just live wherever they want in the house, but I don't think that's true. That one, that one was a little far for me, but it, it does pay homage to that living nomadic life in the desert, and now yeah. they can just do it in their keep because it's so big. But, yeah. So then Saitao kind of like goads, goads on Farouk. Not one. He doesn't trust anybody from the old days. And Farouk says, I think he has forgotten my existence. Which is like really pouring the salt on the wound. Yeah. Well, there. no. Um, Saitao says, not you. No, not you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a typo on my arrow on my notes there. <laughs> Farouk continues his rants because he's been ranting a lot. He's like when yeah, he just keeps going. He says, Muhadib uses men to carry his distrans messages. So distrans. It demeans men to implant wave translators in them. A man's voice should be his own command. It should not carry other man's messages hidden within a sounds. So do you know what he's talking about there? Some kind of secret message technology that they have that I don't understand. Yeah, where you basically... Um, hmm. Is it like code or is it like an actual sound thing? It, think of it as sound waves using art become code, go into your brain, get stored in your brain, and then can be unlocked by a word or a passage, and they will come flowing out of you. Oh, okay. Like weird. Yes. So you become a messenger for things you probably don't know you're a messenger for. Gotcha. Which gets even more weird. But okay. yes. So Sightail's like, eh, this sounds about normal for me. Because <laughs> all major houses use distrans messages. Right. Froke even goes, even tax officials use this method. In my day, the distrans was in, implanted only in lower animals. Which, two really funny things there. One, it's funny they always go after the tax man. <laughs> and two, they did kind of use it for lower animals, right? They used it for the bats. The bats could kind of do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. Yeah, so I just, it's just really funny that Hufaroke turned into B. It's just, that's just analogy sticks so well. So Saito wonders, right? So he's like, hmm, but the revenue information must be kept secret because more than one government has fallen because people discovered the real extent of official wealth. And I, this is the beginning. I think Frank has started a little bit to let his political leanings show. It's oh been yeah, subtle. Yeah, it's about to get more. Like as the books get deeper into this, he's gonna like, more is gonna pop out, and this is one of those lines. Gotcha. Like, and it's and it's kind of true when you think about it. One governments fall when the people know they're being the wealth is being extracted from them, and once they know how much the wealthy actually have, that's how governments fall. So you have to kind of keep that secret if you want to maintain the status quo. Right. Again. Sounds familiar. <laughs> Saitail asks, so how do the Fremen cohorts feel about Muhadib's jihad? Do they object to making a god out of the emperor? Most of them don't even consider this. They think of the jihad the way I thought. Most of them. It's a source of strange experiences, adventure, wealth. 
And then Froke goes like all nostalgia, nostalgia on us and goes, I owned a Chris knife, water rings, 10 liters, my own lance, which has been my father's, a coffee service. I have my own stash of spice, but no money. I was rich and I didn't know it. I was a Fremen Naib, writer of worms, master of the Leviathan and of sand. Evan, what do you think? He's just, he's just like living in the good old days. He's living for the good old days. And he's so full of regret for like, what his world has become. And it's like everything he says points to that. I knew many things without the need to think about them, Farouk said. I knew there was water far beneath our sand, held in bondage by little makers. I knew that my ancestors sacrificed virgins to Shai Halud before Liet Kynes made us stop. It was wrong of us to stop. I should have seen the, I have seen the jewels in the mouth of a worm. My soul had four gates, and I knew them all. Sightail then said, and then came the Atreides with his witch mother. Bum, bum, bum. So, like, Farouk, it, it, it's not just Muhadib. It goes farther back into that with Leak Kynes, who brought science to them. Yeah. He so, says, screw the science. Right. He misses He misses the, the old, old days. Let's sacrifice virgins to the worm god. Like, let's go. <laughs> That like that's how we live at the point of a knife where I don't own anything, and it's if we are all together as the tribe, we own nothing and are everything, and and Saito's like, yeah, tell me about it. And then the Atreides came with that witch Bene Gesserit mother of his and turned her whole world upside down. Then the Atreides came, Farouk agreed, and and now I have to talk to quit moment about white saviorism because I do think it's important. Oh man. Because, and that's a critique of the first movie in part one, Dune part one, a lot of the critiques came up and say, this movie plays in the typical white savior notion. And you're not wrong because there's a lot of that. And it's very heavy handed. This is why I think it's really important. When Dune part one came out, you get that opening like, uh, narration from Chani, which is who will our next oppressors be? Yeah. So yes, the Atreides brought wealth to the Fremen. They brought them new experiences. They transformed their entire world. Was it good for them though? That's the question. Right. And you have to like, that's why they're like, is Dune a white savior story? Yes and no. Right. Dune has, it always has a way of like showing you one thing, but then it turns out to be the opposite or something else. So it would make sense that people would think that from part one, because that's basically what the movie right. is He's, showing, but there to save you for the purpose of turning that on its head. Because that's what Dune does with everything over and over and over again. It's like right. turning everything on its head. Yes. So, Ray, Farouk continues. When, when Muhadib called for the jihad, I was one of those who asked, why should I go fight? I have no relatives there. But the other men went, young men, friend, companions. When they returned, they spoke of wizardry, of the power of this Atreides savior. He fought our enemy, the Harkonnen. Liet had blessed him. 
It was said this man would come to make a golden flower blossom in the night. Froak held his hands up. He looked at his palms and sang. Men pointed to the first moon and said, His soul is here. This we call him Muhadib. I do not understand all of this. Farouk lowers his hands, staring at his son. I had no thoughts in my head. There were only thoughts in my heart, in my belly, in my loins. Farouk says the only reason he enlisted in jihad was because of something called the sea. <laughs> the sea. <laughs> <laughs> the tooth, the, tooth, the, the sea. sea. Look, I circled the every time he says "sea" in the book. It's just like over and, over and over again. Oh, he's obsessed the with the, the sea. sea. The sea. It's this thing that was only a myth he could never imagine until he fully immerses himself in it, which I think is awesome. And you're like, it had a, he had a spiritual awakening underwater, knowing what that's like. Yeah, we'll continue. Right. It was too much for his mind to picture, right? Yet he know men he knew had seen this marvel. He thought they had lied to him. So he had to go for himself. So he enlists. Saitel asks the obvious next question. Did you ever find the sea? Froke tells another story about his time on Enfel where they came out of a mountain pass. The air was so thick with moisture, he could barely breathe. <laughs> but there it was. The he, was in, he was in Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the humidity just thick in the air. It's like, I think you open the door and you're walking into a, I don't know, you're walking into soup. <laughs> the yeah. air is soup. Well, when you think about how like, They've lived with no moisture in the air whatsoever. Right. It's yeah. gotta be suffocating. It's like your body's just overwhelmed with how much is happening. <laughs> there there was the sea. They marched down to it. The water spread as far as he could see. <laughs> I'm sorry, it was right there. I had to take it. So he goes into the water. He submerges himself. He's probably alone while doing this too. Like everyone's just watching him. He just like strips down and like just gets in the water. And when he arises, baptized by it, he arises a new man. Farouk continues the story when he that he was alone when he enters entered the sea. The others from the Quizwad Tafid did not go in. Farouk said the sea healed him of the jihad. Farouk remembered the the original conversation about the emperor's keep. And he goes back to it. Back to the main point. So basically, going into the ocean for Farouk was a spiritual moment that said all of this is bullshit. All of everything. All of everything is bullshit. Yeah. Like existential crisis to the, to the highest degree. I don't care about anything. Right. And that probably happened what? maybe 10 years ago now. Yeah. So maybe 11 years. And so now he's come all the way back and he's thinking that I have all the wealth and riches and the sea is there, but you know what I want? I know what I miss the days of old when we just had, we scrubbed our ass with sand. That's yeah. what we miss. 
And uh, you just got to have that full big emotional arc to really understand what he's doing. Which after getting to this point in the chapter, you can realize why he just had the door open. I don't give a fuck in the middle of noon. He's like, he's like, who cares? It's all, it's all meaningless. Yeah, Meaningless. Like it doesn't matter. Right. There's no water here, but there's plenty everywhere else. So who cares? I'll just go get it. Like I've, we've, we've gone and got everything else. Right. So original conversation broke pipes back in every guard. Every gate is guarded. There's no way into the emperor's fortress. That's his weakness. Saitel says there's a way in the fact that most people, including we hope the emperor believe otherwise that is our advantage. And then Saitel notices something. The music had stopped. Right, row. A distrans had been implanted into Sightail with the music. Did you catch that? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. He is now a vessel of all the information the conspiracy needs to capture a sandworm and to begin to the process of making the melange somewhere else beyond Muhadib's grasp and break the monopoly held by the emperor. Oh. Not I thought there he was going to need, but all of a sudden he has all the information about how to do it. Yeah, that that whole part came out of nowhere, and I had to like go back and and read it. You know, yes, because it was like uh, that's to our advantage, and then he suddenly realized that the music wasn't playing, and the oh that was weird, and then uh, there's a message, you know, like it, <laughs> yeah, it came out of nowhere in the in the book, and I'm like, wait, what wait, just what happened? just happened? You're right. All right, so that's what we need to talk about distrans before, because now Saito is a, a vessel of one. Froke snapped his fingers. The sun stood up and drew the bow across a new instrument, and the Samuda music started up again. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. As, entr- as though entranced by the music, a young woman in a blue robe emerged. Her eyes were total blue of the Abad, but there was an arconic dullness in her eye. Who is this person that has just come up from nowhere? Um... Othium's daughter. Yeah. Where did Othium, Othheim live? I don't remember. He lived in, in the condo next, next to him. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. But he's not there anymore. And he was the one that B-Jazz was like a servant to. He wait, B-Jazz, the dwarf, waited on him. Right, right, right. Right. And so, he was a, he was a uh, Fadaikin. Right, yeah. He was also in Dune. He was also high up there on the list. Gotcha. So, Farouk explains how his son, the guy with no eye sockets, tried to woo Otham's daughter by supplying the drug. But now the Samuda has stolen everything he'd ever hoped to gain. So, yes, she comes there, but she's not addicted to him. She's only there for the drugs. Right. So... And Othheim is, of course, furious about this because um, Farouk's son isn't like, he isn't a prime candidate to be married to. He's got no eyes. But because she's been fed lies about she does love him through the music, right? that she's here on her own accord. And so he's just pissed off dad and is left. 
But daddy, I love him. You're high, honey, all the time. <laughs> but daddy, I love him. <laughs> She's not good for you. He has no eyes. He can't see. <laughs> He'll get the the robot eyes. That's also <laughs> not good. That's a sin. <laughs> so Saito asks if, is this everybody in the house? Froke says, yes. The girl, his son, and him. So Froke's like, so what do you want to do with her? Evidently, this was the whole time. This, this, this was the handoff that was happening. The daughter for Saito wanted her some some reason. Yeah. Saito extends his right arm from the sleeve of his robe. A needle shot out at Farouk, hitting him in the neck. He was frozen by the po- by the dart's poison. Slowly, Saito climbed to his feet, crossed over to the blind man. The youth was still murmuring to the young woman when the dart whipped into him. What? Saitel took the young woman's arm and gently urged her to her feet. Saitel quickly then shifted his appearance, their appearance, and the woman stood, looked at Saitel in the eyes, saying, What is it, Faro? What happened? He just transformed. He mystiqued into Farouk. Yep. Saitel looked at her kindly. My son is tired and must rest. Come, we'll go at the back way. She goes with him, ahead of him, saying, We had such a nice talk. I think I've convinced him to get the Tleilaxu eyes. It'd make him a man again. Haven't I said it many times? Saitel urged her back into the rear chambers. His voice, he noted with pride, matched his features precisely. He looked and sounded exactly like the old Fremen, who was by now certainly dead. Saitel sighed. It had been done with sympathy, he told himself, and the victims certainly had known their peril. Now, the young woman would be given her chance. That ends the chapter, everybody. Woo-hoo! Man, okay, if they if they made this in movie form, it would be really cool. Oh my gosh, yeah. I don't know if they will, but it would be really cool. It's worth a trailer, just this scene, of all the flashbacks of what happened. Oh, like a teaser? Like yeah. A, yeah, yeah, that would be cool. Just this moment of him realizing that like everything is bullshit. And like, I'm just out. Right. There's just no way seeing all this happen. Right. And this is just such a classic Dune scene where it's like just a whole bunch of talking that yes. explains stuff. Yes. And then suddenly just way too much action all at once. And then the chapter's over. Like, <laughs> and everyone's dead and we move on. <laughs> a lot of flashbacks and conversations between people. Yeah. yeah. We are now... We are now deep into um, Dune Messiah. I can say that. Now we're just waiting to see if there's ever going to be a fluff chapter. I doubt it because there's only 24. So action-packed all the way. And it'll be very important things in each chapter. That's all I'm going to say. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, Evan, is there anything else you want to say? Yeah, there is. There is? What is it? Kind of, kind of a big deal. Kind of a big um, deal. Today, I made it live for the first time. We got our, we got a website. Woo! Readingdune.com. Um, you can go 
check it out. I, I've worked pretty hard on it. I'm pretty proud of it. And uh, we even got some merch up there for you guys. So if you, uh, I don't know, go check it out. It's really cool and fun. And I'm real proud of it. That's <laughs> right. We built we, we this thing as all of us. And we now have coffee mugs for you. If you want to buy one that say stay spicy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's pretty I think that's pretty cool I'm about to go get one right now because nice. I love coffee too much so that's what's going to happen I just want to say thank you for everybody uh, please follow us on Twitter if you want to support us more you can. we have a Patreon patreon.com slash reading Dune check the website out tell us what you think what's going on follow us in all the places and yeah, you can always email us and uh, tell us if uh, there's a piece of merch you want to see in the store Oh, yeah, there's and that. And I'll think about it. Yep, we'll go to the Discord, talk to people. That's where we're going to be right after this. Yes. There's so much you can do now to join the the Reading Dune family, the CH, our little tribe we've built here. So you're obviously this far in, and so just You, you might as yes. well be friends with us. Yeah, you uh, might as well pretty much. hang out. <laughs> we're normal people. and And with that, please, everyone, stay spicy. Peace.